The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, 50 basis point rate hike and quantitative tightening on the horizon. When will we know all this tightening is priced in, especially for the beaten down tech trade? We'll debate that and how to position your portfolio from here. Our investment committee today, Brenda Vingella, Michael Farr, Josh Brown, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But let's first get a check on the markets at this hour. Stocks on pace for a third day of losses. The down the S&P at two-week lows. The S&P and Nasdaq on pace for their first losing week in four. Right now, we are close to session lows on the S&P 500. We're down 23 points or a half a percent for the Nasdaq. We're down by just about 1% here. The 10-year yield, 2.647% with slight steepening going on in the yield curve. How do you, how do you factor this all in, Michael Farr? I mean, we, we heard from the Fed minutes that we're going to get a greater amount of tightening in the form of balance sheet runoff on top of a greater amount of tightening than expected in the form of rate hikes. So what is the market pricing in at this point? Uh, Melissa, I think the market's uh, still trying to believe the Federal Reserve. I mean, every one of these market pullbacks has been on the heels of some Fed governor, if not Jay Powell himself, coming out and saying some version of we really mean it this time. We're going to take them up a half a point next time. We're going to do more. We're going to be really serious. And I think part of this is the Fed in many ways has lost some credibility of being the tough guy with markets, of really laying down the law. Because every time the markets have gone down, the Fed has been there with ample cash. So I'm not sure markets are still convinced that they're going to go through with it. And so to your question, how much is priced in? Probably about half. And I think every one of these further announcements, you're seeing the market react and say, gee, they really mean it this time. Markets, I think we have to take them at their word here that they do really mean it. And uh, uh, Wells Fargo came out today and said they expect a half a point in May, half a point in June, three more hikes this year, three more hikes in the beginning of next year, and we're going to a Fed funds rate, according to Wells Fargo and my friend Jay Bryson, Dr. Jay Bryson, their chief economist there, Three and a quarter percent on Fed funds. That takes the 10 year to three and a half, three and three quarters. Markets aren't expecting that yet. So some of it's priced in and some of it needs to be taken a little more seriously. I think that's a great point that Michael's making, Josh, in that, you know, some markets are, in fact, pricing in all this tightening. If you take a look at Fed funds futures, for instance, and what they're pricing in, in terms of the cadence of rate hikes and the size of rate hikes. But the equity markets don't feel like they're fully pricing all of that in on top of what we learned yesterday about the balance sheet runoff. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Look, this is what I would tell you. The VIX is up uh, 12 percent in the last five days. That is a fairly large increase, um, up another 2 percent today. You, you have some outperformance in areas that are not thought to be as susceptible to the, the economic cycle, like healthcare, consumer staples outperforming. I would note biotech, I talked about it yesterday, looks pretty good. Um, but outside of that, 
I'm looking at 52-week lows in Goldman Sachs. I'm looking at a 30-year fixed mortgage now, uh, four spot seven two. That's the fastest three-month rise going back to 1994. The market is very rapidly stock market very rapidly catching up to the reality that the bond market seems to have been on to first. There is a tendency to overshoot though, so I, I think we're probably going to retest those February lows in the large cap, uh, quote unquote, quality stocks. I don't know how that retest is going to go. I don't know what the overall uh, headline situation is going to be at the moment that we do that retest. But I really feel that that is what professionals are focused on right now. That's going to be one of those moments in truth that we seem to have uh, every year or so uh, as, as stock market participants. So until that happens, mm -hmm. if you're a trader, you're probably out there tightening up your stops, maybe letting a lot of setups go by. If you see 10 setups, maybe you're only taking the best two or three pure breakouts, and you're probably not doing your third, fourth, or fifth best trade. And if you're a long-term investor, you're probably looking for stocks that have already been cut in half that you want to own for the long term, and you're willing to be wrong or early by 10 or 20%. Outside of that, I don't think this is an environment where you want to think you're smarter than the market. Um, we're seeing this phenomenon where you get a rally in tech stocks for four or five days. All of a sudden, you think you have it figured out. And then you give up that whole rally in three hours. That's right. not a fun environment for um, hobbyists or retail traders that are only kind of half looking. So if you're in that boat, probably do less is, is the right default. Yeah. Uh, Josh says VIX, and I think of Pete. And, and Pete, we've seen a 20% increase in volatility in just this week alone, and yet you're still only at 23. If you take a look at the markets, so we're losing leadership groups and or we have lost leadership groups. Semiconductors, transports. Um, what do you make of where we are now and, and how much volatility is being priced in in the future months? Yeah, it's a really interesting, Mel, and you make a good point, but let's not forget how fast the VIX actually dropped as well. I mean, it wasn't too terribly long ago we were talking about VIX over 30 and over 37. So these moves do happen in a pretty violent way at times. I would say this, I, th I think it's time to be, and it is a great opportunity for people who are really into the markets and they, they wanna be in front of things to be very aggressive. And we've been very aggressive, very nimble, and that's kind of the way you have to be in this kind of a market because of exactly what you just said. Hey, look at where the volatility index just went just at the start of this week. That's why you've gotta be nimble and you've gotta be quick and you've gotta make decisions, you've gotta be disciplined. All of that is a really big component of what's going on right now. Last week I talked about the fact that I had nearly 70 different, um, uh, different uh, derivatives positions on. Now I've cut it back a little bit, but I'm still pretty big. I'm, I think I'm over 60 positions right now. So it gives you an idea of what's, on, what's going on in terms of the derivatives markets. In terms of stocks, though, Mel, I have not found stocks that I've wanted to buy. And part of that has hold, to do with I'm not so convinced. Here. Stop the presses. Pete Nigerian <laughs> just said he has not found stocks that he wants to buy. You're an active trader, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the markets every single day. And there's not one single stock yeah. out of, what, 5,000, give or oh. take, that you would want to buy. 
Well, that, it's, you, you, you form a good question there, but I do have about 45, 50 positions in stocks right now. So I, right. I'm not adding to those stocks and I have not added new stocks. And I am looking, I think there are great opportunities out there. And I'll, I'll even give you a short list of a couple of names that I really like the look of and the setup of, but I'm not ready to make that move because I agree with what Josh is saying. There's no reason we couldn't test those lows of February that he was just discussing just moments ago. So I'll give you one, I'll give you Best Buy. I'll also give you a, a name like William Sonoma. You and I I've talked about that. That was a pitch stock on the five o'clock show a while back. That stock ran from 130 to 200. Time to get out, getting all the way back down. Here it is again towards 130. So that's one of those names where I'm looking at it really closely, Mel. I love the CEO. I think she does an absolutely amazing job with what she's doing there, just like with Best Buy. But when you look at where they're trading right now, as far as their PE and their cash positions and their previous quarter earnings, all of that checks just about every box. I just don't think I need to get in early right now because I do think that there still could be some pressure to the downside. Brenda Vangelo, I'm sure you've got a shortlist too. How are you feeling about actually pulling the trigger on the names in your shortlist? Are you more in inclined to wait on the sidelines given what you're, you see coming in the markets? Well, we're long-term investors, and I think if you look at the environment right now, you know, the list of worries has just continued to escalate. Uh, strategists have been taking numbers down for this year. Um, but I think we really have to examine the health of the underlying economy, which we can't take for granted, and it's incredibly strong. And we've had zero rate hikes so far. Even if you take inflation out of the question, the underlying health of the economy is incredibly strong, and we could argue uh, that rates should be higher than they are today. So I think the question we grapple with is, you know, can the market can the market handle uh, a pretty significant increase in rate hikes in a short period of time, even if we think the neutral rate is somewhere close to three to four percent, just given the underlying health of the economy. But I think the other piece that that hardly anyone is talking about, except for Ed Yardini, is that when we look at earnings and revenue in an inflationary environment, as long as demand stays strong, revenue and earnings should also inflate. Um, and I think that will be especially true in areas like the services sector, leisure, travel, hospitality, areas that have really been where the investor, or excuse me, where the consumer has not spent as much and where we haven't seen as much inflation, but there is likely the ability to pass along higher prices and higher costs. So I think we're going to learn a lot this earnings season just about how what companies are seeing, uh, what prices they're able to pass along and what they're not. Um, so I'm really looking forward to hearing directly from companies, but we're a little more constructive here and think there are some opportunities. How are you feeling about earnings season, Josh? But I'm, I'm curious because it, it feels like an earnings season where companies might get a free pass to say we've got all sorts of costs coming in. We can't predict anything and we're not really going to give you good guidance here. I would like for that to be the case, but I don't think anyone's getting a free pass. And what we've seen in the last earnings uh, period was that companies that beat their number and guided higher got a flat stock price the next yeah. day. Companies that uh, just met the number were down between 5 and 10%. And if you missed, good night. So I don't see that changing materially. And I do think that travel is strong and services are strong. I agree with what Brenda was saying. Mm -hmm. The demand is there. The problem is the stock market is going to act as the leading edge. And any whiff of, of that demand starting to tail off because of higher prices the stock market's going to overreact. And I think if you look at uh, airlines today, uh, United down 4%, Delta down 3.5%, Southwest looks terrible, American looks worse, uh, travel stocks in general 
Look at uh, Carnival, Royal, Las Vegas Sands, MGM. The, the market is, is anticipating uh, a consumer that at a certain point looks at prevailing prices and says, you know what? Yes, travel's pent up. I want it to go away. I want to do something. Maybe I go away for three nights instead of five. Or maybe I drive instead of fly. That, that is, unfortunately, going to be what ends up happening, specifically mm-hmm. if we start to um, have more destruction in the wealth effect. And I got to tell you, the volatility of this market is going to contribute to that. And I also think home prices have peaked for the cycle. And you're going to see some demand destruction come from a softening real estate market. The, the mortgage stat I just cited is extremely meaningful. It's not just stocks. Take a look at the 10-year Treasury uh, ETF, very popular ETF, um, down 14% peak to trough. That's the area of investors' portfolios that they thought they were safe in. So I really do think that the wealth effect has helped us out to the upside and has bolstered the consumer throughout 2020, 2020, Mm 2021. Unfortunately, that also works in the other direction. And the destruction that we've seen in Q1 I think is going to hit earnings at a certain point because of how important the consumer is. All good points there. Um, We've been talking about what the markets are pricing in. What kind of tightening is being priced into the market? How many basis points being priced into the market? Let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman, and he is looking at how quantitative tightening will translate into rate hikes. So you're going to help us answer that question, Steve. (laughs) I hope to do my best here, Melissa, as I always do. So... The way they're looking at this is about $700 billion of QT. And, and if I could make a big plus or minus sign here, because it could, it could be a lot more, a lot less. But the, 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 what the studies show is about $700 billion of QT is worth about a quarter point. So then you got to scale that up. And if you look at the projections now, we know what the numbers are from where the Fed's going to be. About $700 billion you can expect this year. $1.8 trillion uh over through 2023 and what you at three trillion over the course what you find is that's worth maybe a hundred basis points of the full qt it's not that much but if you do the, the the math guys if you could do the next screen which looks at uh if i add it to the rate hikes you have a fed funds rate that's now trading for in the futures market about 3.1 percent for the end of 2023 and i add in I don't know, 50 or 75. Okay, yeah, that shows you where the funds rate is, is trading for the end of 2023 right now. And then you go to the next screen and we'll do all the math together. This is not high math, folks. This is easy. There you go. So you get to a total amount of tightening if you use the balance sheet loosely, three and a half to three and a quarter, three quarters percent. That's a lot of tightening. And it's one thing, Melissa, that I think maybe the upshot is. I think the Fed may be out with the bad news here. I don't think that it's going to try to put more out there in terms of what else it could do. I know Michael Farr was talking about this sort of ever-rising rhetoric from the Fed. We're going to do more, we're going to do more, we're going to do more. They now are market basically socialized 50 basis point cuts. They've socialized a a $95 billion monthly runoff of the balance sheet. Uh, And I know Bullard talked this morning from St. Louis. He wants more. I think you'll have to wait to get more. <clears throat> they may need to do more, but I think in terms of the pace, I think it's out there now. And now the market has to figure out valuations, volatility, all the fun things that Josh Brown and the other traders were talking about. All right. So we've got a number now, Michael Farr, three and a half to three and three quarters percent. Uh, 
and tightening through 2023. How do we how do we factor that in? How do we think about that? Okay, so that's 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 a lot. And if the consumer is as strong as the Fed suspects they are, and I think the Fed might be getting this wrong, that could be the soft landing formula. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that path to Shannon's uh, to, to Brenda's neutral rate. How do we get to that neutral rate where, and that's that rate where we neither expand uh, nor restrict economic growth. That's that neutral rate we're looking for. So, uh, but we have consumers, 50% of the consumers really didn't see asset growth. And 50% of the consumers, while they're seeing wage growth, uh, this is the lower half of, of the demographic economically, uh, are facing all of these higher prices. So I'm thinking that there could be some more demand destruction out there for a bigger swath of the population than the Fed's calculating when they're looking at savings rates and housing prices. And the Dallas Fed uses words like unhinged, which I totally disagree with. But hmm. so I, I think, you, you know, I, I, yeah, that's just, a, that's just a really bad word for any Fed to use, unhinged. Hey, can, can, and particularly when, w go ahead. I, I just, I, Michael, I, I think you, you make, you make a good point. We're not, we're not yet at the point where we're seeing demand destruction. And I don't think the market no. is particularly set up for that. And when that, but here's the problem. The things that are causing the inflation, the Fed has very little to do with. And I think what they're, Absolutely. I'm guessing, Steve Leisman will correct me. But like, what do you really want them to do about energy? We knew that oil prices were going up. But what really sent them to overdrive is completely outside of the purview of anything the Fed has any control over other than to react to or some might say overreact to. Same with food prices. What do you literally want them to do about a situation where the number one and two uh, wheat producers on Earth are in a war with each other? I, I like, think let's that be the serious away, here. The New and used cars. Josh, it's worse what than do you that, want them Josh. to do? Build cars? Guys, guys, Josh, guys, 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 it's, guys, guys it's, hold it's on. Hold, it's, on. It's, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think that the takeaway here is that the Fed can't do anything about it. I'll go out on a limb, Steve, to say that. I think that you are probably you probably agree with that, that the Fed can't do anything about crops not being planted in <clears> Ukraine or, or grain sitting in silos in Ukraine that can't be distributed around the world, which is inflating food prices at this point. Um, and I think that's the that's the problem. So what are we pricing in here? We're pricing in three and a half to three and three quarters plus demand destruction from a potentially pressured consumer. And what kind of economy is that, Steve Leisman? What does the Fed do about well, that? I, Can it I do wanted, anything? I wanted, I wanted, rather than correct Josh Brown, I wanted to agree with him and tell him it's a little bit worse than he <laughs> even laid out. The two areas, the two areas that, um, that the Fed should have the most effect on, autos and housing, I think are going to be very immune to any impacts of, of, uh, 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 of rate hikes. And I'll tell you why. I think we have this long running, maybe longer than a decade, undersupply of housing. Um, I, you may get some topping off of housing prices. I don't see them going down and changing the CPI input uh, from housing in a meaningful way. The auto business is running at 13, 14 million units. It should be normally at 16 or 17 million units. I don't think the Fed should or, or, or will have much effect on that part of the economy coming back. Um, and I don't think, of course, uh, you're absolutely right, Melissa, it's not going to have any impact on, on the trade, sorry, on, on the food side of things or on the energy side of things. 
What the Fed can and should do at this point is get to neutral, some form of neutral, which is, you know, two, two and a half percent on the funds rate and mm -hmm. start to bring down the balance sheet and then look around. It doesn't really matter if the Fed is right or wrong on bringing down inflation in the first phase of this tightening cycle. The reason is because there is no reason, there's no excuse to be at zero or even 0 0.375. The funds right now ought to be at about 200 and 250, yeah. two, two and a half, sorry, two, two and a half percent. Yes. And the only question is how fast we get there. And just to be clear, the three and a half to three and three quarter I mean, four was was the impact of the uh, uh, QE plus the rate hikes. Right, right. And some people might even say it's negligent that we are where we are uh, in terms of the in terms of the rate. Uh, Brenda, what right. knowing all of this um, now and thinking about you're, you're sort of a, of a more sunny disposition when it comes to your attitude towards the markets compared to a lot of the other guys on the panel here. Um, but how do we think about, for instance, the tech trade? I mean, we know that mega cap tech stocks have been holding up better, but there are some pockets of technology that have already undergone their own corrections for a long time. IGV, for instance, the software high flyers. We got a lot of the ARK innovation type names. How do you sort of view all of this in light of how much tightening could be in store? Yeah, I think that you have in our view, we have to think about tech differently than you probably thought about tech over the last decade. And that is, you know, now we have all of these large cap tech names with tons of cash on the balance sheet, lots of pricing power, um, huge moats around them. Um, in our view, those are the more defensive places to be. So in our view, we own those as more of a defensive play. If we're wrong and things aren't as sunny as we think they are, and the economy slows more than we think it will, those areas in our view are likely to hold up better um, than other parts of the equity market. When you look at areas like unprofitable tech, the high-flying software stocks, um, those, I think it's gonna be really hard to get a multiple um, that you saw over the last decade. So those we would still be leery of uh, because we just think that multiples are going to continue to normalize, even if fundamentals remain strong in many of those companies. Pete, a little birdie named Prashant is telling me that you've sold all your Apple calls. <laughs> um, I presume yeah. that you still have a stock position in this one, though. Absolutely. In, in, in all of the big three that I've got, Mel, when you look at Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call it, and Apple and Microsoft, I've been trading around it. And that's exactly the markets that we're in. That's why I say this is an incredibly op a great opportunity for those of us who want to be very aggressive with the trading. I still own those stocks. I own all three of those stocks. I've had Facebook since it was the IPO. I've had Microsoft for many years since they got the new CEO. I've also been an Apple since the 1990s. I've been in these stocks, but I like to trade around them, Mel, and they've given us great opportunities opportunities. We've had huge call buying in all three of those names over the last couple of weeks. They definitely panned out. When you look at where, where we were in Apple to the run to the upside, you just have to be disciplined. And that is the environment that we are in right now. If you are not disciplined and you're just holding on because you think it's going to go up forever, you're in the wrong business. You have to be able to trade these. And that's what I think a lot of people are seeing that more and more. And I can see that in the volumes that we're seeing in the options world, Mel. I mean, we are averaging a little over 42.5 million contracts per day right now. And a lot of that, I think, speaks to the fact that we are seeing a lot more trading going on rather than on the investment side. Steve Leisman, thank you for participating in our lively conversation this afternoon. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank Up you. next, Josh Brown is making moves in his portfolio. Plus, this stock has lost more than half of its value this year, but it just got a buy call. We'll debate that. And a reminder, the CNBC Investing Club's monthly meeting starts today. 
12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a masterclass in how Jim Cramer makes calls in times like these. Jim is also announcing a new stock he's adding to the charitable trust. Sign up at cbc.com slash join the club. Halftime returns right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Josh Brown is making a move in his portfolio. He is out of a name that he's owned for about a month. Josh, we're talking about Moderna. Yeah. One, Melissa, one of the things I mentioned in, uh, in the A Block about tightening up your stops, this is exactly what, what I did with Moderna. So it's a great trade. I, I backed into it with a, a buy limit order. It got filled during the panic and uh, it ran up. And you really want to try to not have winners turn into losers through negligence. Um, because in the end, when the VIX is spiking, all stocks are treated like commodities and get sold off. So I still think Moderna is a good long-term investment, but this was a trade for me. I may end up getting back into it, but I am now uh, out of the stock, on, back on the sidelines. Um, and this is similar to what I just did earlier this week with GM. It's not a call on the stock as an investment. Uh, it's just the reality that the fundamentals in the short term um, really don't matter. Uh, when everyone else is trying to get out of what they can get out of. So that's yeah. the story there. There is that sell mentality when it's when it's time to sell, Pete. But healthcare is going gangbusters. Um, it's just a stone's throw away from its 52-week high. And I'm wondering what names you would stick with as defensive plays, Pete. Yeah, I, I love them. As a matter of fact, I've owned both Pfizer and uh, Merck Mel for many, many years now. And as a matter of fact, today I added some Pfizer calls. Uh, they were buying the upside calls in Pfizer. So I'm going to trade around that as well. But I think there's a lot of different names in that in that field right now that have great opportunities in front of them. Josh had a great trade with Moderna, but that's not the only name that's out there. There's AbbVie. There's so many other names that I think you can trade that uh, that give you opportunity. And we're seeing that. That was something at the very beginning of the year. It was one of the areas that I really liked, Mel, was healthcare because it seemed like this would be a good year for that particular sector to start maybe catching up because they've lagged for so long. Plus the fact that it's kind of the Warren Buffett trade where you've got very, very quality names. You've got, you trade at extremely low PEs and you've got incredible cash flow and the dividend yield. So the combination of all of that is very much like just about everything we've seen out of Mr. Buffett over the last couple of the years where he's going aggressive, but he's going after the right kind of names like he did today with, with Hewlett Packard. 
Yep. Um, let's get to one of our calls of the day here. Ford downgraded to an equal weight over at Barclays, affirm saying supply chain issues will continue to be a big issue for Ford, as well as the entire auto industry. It's our call of the day. He's actually, they're actually cautious on auto parts as well. Um, Pete, you recently owned Ford calls. I did. I was in Ford calls. I was in Tesla calls. I'm out of both of those now. Um, I'm still in some Rivian as well as GM. GM are just going to go away worthless. I'll be the first to tell you. They were calls that were on to the upside. We had a great run. Both Ford and GM were exploding to the upside, and then they weren't. And then when they turned, Mel, they just literally started to turn to the downside. And significantly, uh, I think what people finally realized was, okay, these, these two companies are doing a great job with the EV space. But they're not there yet, and they're not delivering at any kind of a pace that everybody's ultimately incredibly excited about. So I think that's why we see the kind of a pullback that we're seeing now. And it's going to take a little while. These are not EV names yet. Right, right. But look at that jump that it's it had amazing. as well, right, Josh? I mean, yeah. the move to the upside was, mm-hmm. was violent, and then the move to the downside is even more violent. So I All think right. a lot of that yep. was that everybody was pricing in the EV side of this trade. Sure. Um, Michael Farr, how are you feeling this about Ford in this call? Company. Uh, well, okay. Yeah, can, it, can, it, Mel, can it manage Melissa, through financing that's, you know, 3% or, or something for the consumer on top of supply chain issues and price hikes? Yes, I think it can. And I mean, I think the demand is there. Okay, so we have a supply chain issue with Ford, but Ford has outstanding management. Look, what Bill Farley has done at that company, I think, is fabulous. I mean, he is one seriously quality, uh, talented CEO. Um, so in a 2.7 or 2.75% dividend with a stock that's down this much and pent up demand, this, I think, return for this stock is a matter of when and not if. I don't own it yet, but when I see something pull back like this, I'm going to, I'm going to go take a, a very close look. They are cutting edge, and I think they are well poised uh, to probably be very successful. I, I want to take a closer look at this for our long-term portfolio. Uh, Brenda, I don't know where you stand exactly on Ford or if you own it, but I mean, I think the notion of the note really applies to a lot of companies. I mean, the, the analysts there are saying that investors are underestimating the impact of supply chain. They are underestimating the impact of inflation. They are underestimating the impact of Fed rate hikes. Um, and I think that can be said of for perhaps many companies in many different industries that perhaps we're not fully grasping what the impact is going to be. Yeah, I think when it comes to autos, you know, if you look at Ford down 40%, obviously there's something being baked in there in terms of uh, bad uh, bad outcomes. Um, but when we, we look at where we're going to put incremental dollars, we haven't chosen to do so within the auto industry, even though EV is obviously a huge growth trend within that industry. But our concern really has been that, you know, what is a supply uh, challenge right now could turn into a supply glut as soon as things really ease up a little bit. Um, and maybe that happens at the same time demand is starting to wane a little bit. As you mentioned, uh, with rates going up, consumer feeling more pricing pressure, maybe that's when things do start to slow down a little bit. All right, on to our next call here. City says it is safe to enter the metaverse, initiating Roblox with a buy rating and a $59 price target. Josh, you're in Roblox. How are you feeling about this? Uh, this is one of the worst uh, buys I've made in the last 18 months. I bought it just as the NASDAQ was. Uh, I bought it down huge from its high, thinking that there might be some safety in, in where I was getting in. It was stupid. Um, this stock's not going to work right now. So I actually do believe that Roblox is the closest thing we have in the real world to an actual metaverse. Um, <laughs> the business model is phenomenal. Kids converting USD 
into Robux and Roblox taking a huge uh, vig on every transaction. So I think the stock and the company will ultimately work out. It's just not going to work right now. So I don't know what City's looking at. Um, they should maybe have a technical analyst go over down the hall to this analyst's office and show them some things about how the actual real world works because this one looks like more 52-week lows, all-time lows in its future. So I have a little bit of money in this. I'm trapped in it. I'm not adding to it. I think there will be a time and place, but this ain't it. Can I ask you a, a question just from a portfolio management standpoint, Josh? When you say you're trapped... No, you may not, Melissa. <laughs> I'm going to ask the question. If I get an answer, I get a good answer. If I don't, I'll move on. All right, go ahead. <laughs> um, what do you got? Why are you, why are you trapped in a stock? <laughs> I mean, if you think, as you say, that there's going to be lower lows ahead, then why don't you just sell it and take the loss and put your money in something that, that will serve you better? That's a really great question because I, I don't actually know that. I'm just telling you what I think could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every feeling, not every feeling or opinion I have comes true. What? Obviously, because if what? it had, I would, I wouldn't be in this name. <laughs> I wouldn't be in this name 30% higher than where it is. I do like it as a as a long-term play on the metaverse. The other thing that's important to keep in mind with all stocks like this, um, no one's going to ring a bell and tell you when they're going to come back in favor. This thing is down so much, it could spike 30% in two days. Um, if there's some kind of uh, news announcement or some kind of guidance from the company about how things are going. So if, if you're going to be in it as an investor, unfortunately, that means living through the tough times, too. I never bought it as a trade. So I'm not willing to commit more capital for it. I don't think it's the right stock for this environment. But I do want to be there for when it does turn. And I don't think from these levels there is a huge amount of risk here. So that's, I guess, the best answer I could give you to your question. I know there's a lot of uh, contradiction uh, in what I'm saying, but markets are messy. Life is, life is not uh, uh, so simple. That is a good saying, Josh, and I shall put it on the next sampler I needle point. Um, let's get the headlines now with Eamon Javers. <laughs> Eamon. Our CNBC News update at this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has tested positive for COVID, part of a wave of infections in Washington, D.C. Two days ago, she was briefly in close proximity to President Biden and former President Obama at a White House event. Her office, though, says she is fully vaccinated and boosted, and she doesn't have any symptoms. The White House said moments ago that Biden tested negative last night and wishes Pelosi a speedy recovery. In Washington and New York, votes to punish Russia. The U.S. Senate voted unanimously to strip Russia of its most favored nation trade status, clearing the way for tariffs. The bill goes to the House next. And the United Nations General Assembly voted to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. The Justice Department is in the very early stages now of investigating how and why some boxes of documents were moved from the Trump White House to the former president's Mar-a-Lago residence. That's according to The Washington Post and Reuters. They say some of the documents were marked top secret. By law, all of them should have gone to the National Archives. And in the next hour, the final step for Ketanji Brown Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court. The Senate is scheduled to vote to confirm her, possibly with three Republican yes votes joining all 50 Democrats. Halftime, coming back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Warren Buffett making more moves in this market, now taking a big stake in HP. That stock is soaring right now. Frank Holland is here to break it down. Frank. Hey, Melissa. Shares of HP Inc. on pace for their best day since March 2020, the start of the pandemic. Trading volume more than 400% higher than its 30-day average. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway taking an 11% stake in the company, a total of 121 million shares with a price tag of $4.2 billion. The catalyst, shares were bought between April 1st and the 6th, just days after HP acquired Poly, a headset and hybrid work hardware maker for $1.7 billion. Now, Buffett has famously said he doesn't really invest in things he doesn't understand, but the need for PCs and hybrid work gear, that's not very hard to grasp at all. Uh, HP has more than 20% market share for personal computers globally. The company also raising, raising its margin guidance for the PC segment, where it gets 70% of its revenue, and it has plans to buy back $4 billion in stock this year. Now, Jim Cramer actually questioned the CEO about the buyback plan and his claims that HP Inc. was actually undervalued when he appeared on Mad Money in February. HP Inc. has since outperformed Lenovo and Dell, the other top computer makers, between then and yesterday, not even accounting for today's moves. Gartner is forecasting flat PC sales in 2022, but that's following a huge spike last year. Back over to you. Thank you very much, Frank Holland. And uh, by the way, this is Buffett's third big play since his annual letter in late February. Josh, you and Berkshire Bees, how are you feeling about this uh, purchase? This is a classic uh, Berkshire Hathaway type of stock. It's been around since 1939, which in technology, it might as well be 5,000 years old. It might as well be a pyramid. 2.8% uh, yield. Big buyback, as Frank mentioned. Um, they've bought 26% of their float in the last two years. And it is a bet on a continuation of hybrid. And I think that's the bear case is if all of a sudden people stop buying um, monitors and, and computer products for their home. Um, but clearly, Hewlett Packard is betting that this is going to continue. And you're only paying nine times earnings. So I think it's a smart bet. As a shareholder of Berkshire, I'm happy to see more money put to work as opposed to sitting in cash. All right, we've got to take a break here. Stay with halftime, though. Pete is tracking unusual activity in the options market, and we've got the latest trades next. Time for unusual activity. Pete, what are you seeing? 
I'm going to start off with Cardinal Health, Mel. We talk about health services. You were asking me about uh, some of the healthcare names just a minute ago. 52 to 58 so far this year. The stock actually pushing that 58 number. And today we're seeing the April 59 calls getting bought. These are actually giving you a little bit of time for the full expiration cycle. 6,500 of those. They were paying anywhere from 30 cents up to 55 cents with the stock just around that 58 level. So I think this one looks pretty solid. Next, I've got Costco. Now, Costco just continues to hit. It got a 52-week high today it looks like it wants to break out somebody thinks it will before the end of the week because they're buying tomorrow's expiring 600 calls they paid anywhere from a dollar 20 all the way up to five dollars for those calls they're looking for that i own both of these and i think that this costco could be interesting by the end of tomorrow all right up next bullish calls on the banks ahead of earnings next week how the committee is playing it that's next Big banks are set to report earnings next week. Wells Fargo is out with a note saying to buy the dip on the banks ahead of the results. They're saying banks have underperformed the S&P 500 by about 12 um, percent. Michael Farr, you and Goldman Sachs, it's a fresh 52-week low along with Citi today. Um, why are you holding on to this one? I continue to like Goldman Sachs. I think people are getting nervous about the flatness of the yield curve and maybe this inversion in the yield curve. Positive yield curves typically good for banks. You don't bet against Goldman Sachs over the long term. Goldman Sachs clients may or may not make money, but let me tell you, Goldman Sachs always makes money. You get a 2.6% dividend, and a higher rate environment means that they've got a lot of cash on which they can earn. I think the traditional banks, the PNCs and the Truists, both of which I own, I think are probably better positioned to benefit from higher returns on cash. But even Goldman Sachs can suddenly, in a higher rate environment, earn money on money market funds again. They haven't done it in 10 years. This is a, this is a positive here. Uh, I think the baby's getting thrown out with the bathwater. Watch the price. I'm a holder. Um, long term, maybe this works out, and I hope it does for your sake, Michael. A 2-plus percent dividend yield doesn't really offset the 20 percent loss you'll see in the stock itself, Brenda, year to date. And I'm wondering where you stand on the banks. Mike Mayo had a note out trying to look through what the impact is on a, on a steepening yield curve. Basically, he says the bottom line is he prefers Main Street banking over Wall Street banking. Where do you stand? Well, I think if we look at uh, what happened with the yield curve inversion, now that the Fed has said they're going to unwind the balance sheet at a faster pace, I think we're gonna, that's going to be less of a topic of conversation here because we're likely to see the yield curve steepen. That being said, you know, consumers' balance sheets have really been in pristine shape, so we haven't really seen the pickup in lending that would really benefit banks from a steepening yield curve. But as the consumers work through their savings, um, I think we're likely to see a pickup um, in some borrowing activity, and that should absolutely help the banks. So um, I think this is more of an opportunity than anything in the banks, given this recent pullback. Uh, certainly, if you think we're going into recession next year, that's not the case. Uh, we don't think that is the case um, and think that this is an opportunity here that's been presented. All right. Uh, consumer staple sector hitting an all-time high today. We'll debate whether this area is still a safe haven with rising inflation. The debate and the trades next on Halftime. Consumer staples hitting all-time highs today. It is one of the best-performing sectors this month and this year. Names like Walmart, Hershey hitting fresh highs today. Brenda, you're in Hershey. Yeah, so our preference within consumer staples is to really focus on names that have growth potential, and Hershey has really proven that they do. More recently, they just revised up their organic growth expectations, looking for more uh, 4 to 5%. 
um, which is uh, above a lot of names in the group. Um, they do have pricing power. This tends to be an area where the individual price is not very high, um, so we think they have continued room to go. They've also done a great job of making some strategic acquisitions outside of candy into areas like salty snacks, where they are seeing um, continued growth in those areas. So a defensive name, but with some growth opportunities as well. Pete, Tabara, Page uh, from the five o'clock show, would you rather Walmart or Target here? <laughs> Oh, absolutely, Target. Both of them are having a great day. I own Target the stock, but I own Walmart in terms of calls, Mel. We've seen a lot of activity there. For a long time, I think Walmart was way overvalued versus Target. Now it's much closer, so it, you know it's, a, it's an easier, well, it's not easier, it's a, it's a tougher call, but I still got to go with Target. Yeah, Josh, where are you on the retail trade? You're pointing out some of the charts that, had, uh, that were troubling you in terms of what it might be saying about the consumer. Look, my attitude about the consumer staples and this idea that like, oh, you're worried about the market, buy them because they'll go down less. I think that's something for active managers who have no choice but to be 100% invested in stocks. Like if they don't have cash as an option, then you could understand them reaching for um, like Campbell's soup and stuff. I, I don't think that that's most of our viewers where they have to be 100% in stocks. So I like Hershey. I like some of the names mentioned, but I would just say, don't ever buy a stock purely for the reason that you think it's going to go down less than other stocks in a market downturn. You're not forced to play that game. That's a Wall Street Boston game. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Where do you stand on that game, Michael? I, I own a position in them. I'm probably overweight in the staples. These are core names for us, but Pepsi and Mondelez and Procter and Gamble. They're growing earnings close to 10%, all of them. They're market multiples. They've got good, decent dividends. And they hold up not just on those market pullbacks that Josh mentioned, but they also hold up during more difficult economic times. All three of the names I own have good, strong pricing power. They've got good, strong brand names. They don't have a lot of competition. Do so you think there's no a limit to that pricing power? Generic stuff. Yes, I do. Uh, sure. Do you think there's a limit? You know, yeah, the, the, I do too. There, there, there is when you run out of runway, okay? I mean, when the consumer runs out of money, yes, uh, you can't keep pushing on the prices, but how, I think there's still outrage, runway Michael? to How about just outrage, Michael? How about just outrage that you're still paying three bucks and the can is shrinking? Or you're getting fewer, you know, <laughs> units within the packet. I mean, there's just consumer. I'm outraged when that are, happens to me. Are, I, 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 I am it. too, but, but you know. But I'm outraged. And I will switch brands. Yeah, but you're still buying toilet paper and toothpaste. You know, you're still buying toilet paper and toothpaste. And you're still buying Oreos. I mean, I agree with you, but they're still selling them. You're right. I'm still buying Oreos. All right. Uh, speaking of consumer staples, Jim Cramer <laughs> has an exclusive interview with ConAgra CEO. That is tonight, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Stay with us. Final Trades is next on Halftime. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Time for final trades. Brenda Vangelo. Still really like booking holdings here. Really a beneficiary, not only from travel, but also from dining-related activity with open table. Um, they have reinstituted uh, share buybacks. So we think this company is really poised to benefit from the environment that we see going forward. Michael Farr. Raytheon, Washington, D.C., spending more money on defense. Raytheon's going to benefit. Josh Brown. 
Could not agree with Michael Farr more. Uh, and my pick today is Lockheed. Pay close attention to stocks that are within 3% of all-time highs. There is meaning there. Did you finish that Rubik's Cube, by the way? No. <laughs> You've been playing with this it's Rubik's not, Cube the whole show. And I'm just wondering if you actually that finished it. That is not it. for me. All right. I guess I not. I can't. Uh, Pete, Pete Nigerian, hmm. what do you say? Mel, first of all, great job today, and I'll see you at 5 o'clock. I'm excited about that. That's going to be great. Kinross Gold. I love these gold stocks, and we just had a big hit. September 6 calls being bought. I bought them as well. Do not miss Fast Money tonight at 5. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.